As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, I'm Adam Levy, and this is Working Scientist, a Nature Careers podcast. This six-part series, Business of Science, breaks down how to commercialise your research. Welcome to this sixth and final episode in the series, which has looked at the crucial steps to spin-off success. Pitching, patents, tech transfer, scaling up, and in last week's episode, setbacks. But today we're doing things a little differently and looking at the transfer of skills between the business and academic worlds. What is it about graduate school and the things you learn there that equip you for entrepreneurship and a commercial career? And how would it work if you decide to return to academia after launching a startup or even have a more portfolio career that straddles both academia and business? Patrick Ankatil is founder and CEO of Portal Instruments, commercialising a product for needle-free injection of drugs. Before entering business, he completed his PhD at MIT. And so he has some thoughts on how graduate school prepares you for the commercial world. You know, I think the PhD actually really prepares you for that. Because I think, I think with the PhD, as I like to say, you're sort of the, the army of one. You can do anything. Right? And if you don't know it, well, you know how to figure it out. Right? And I think it's the same thing. I think the young generation has really figured out how to kind of almost do like mini PhDs in those, in those areas and, and find the knowledge that, that they need. It's very fascinating. So, yeah, so PhDs can do it, I would say. <laughs> to look a little deeper at what academia and business both gain through crossover, we have two in-depth interviews in today's episode. The first is with chemist Javier Garcia Martinez, who you may have heard on previous episodes of the series. Although Javier made the transition to commercialize research, he still has one foot firmly in the door of academia. He's based both at the University of Alicante in Spain, as well as Rive Technology, working on nanotechnology-based catalysts. 
So I started out by asking him how well academia prepares you for the commercial world. I usually say that any group leader is also an entrepreneur. You need to raise money from industry or from government. You need to deliver on time, either papers, results, present in conferences. You need to hire. You need to inspire your team. You need a vision and you need to develop new technologies. So any researcher, any good group leader is by definition a high-tech entrepreneur. So I'm saying this because I want to convey the message that any group leader, young scientist who is considering to start a company is well equipped, in fact, to, to do that. And if you feel that you are, you are missing something, either you can learn it or you can partner with others, with, with a team that is good at doing things that you don't know or you don't want to do. And the other thing I would say is that our education as scientists in terms of rigor, looking at the data, connecting the dots, it actually makes you very well equipped to, to start a, a high-tech startup. So in a way, we have this uh, picture in our mind that academia is in the one side of the cliff and there is a huge gap and in the other side of, 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 of the ocean, there is industry. It, it is the same person. And yeah, there are people in academia that don't want to talk to industry. Yes, there are people in industry that think that we are in our ivory tower and we are useless. But that kind of thinking is not very useful and doesn't embrace the reality that uh, we are doing pretty much the same thing, just with different objectives. But what about the other way around? What can uh, you bring to academia from life in business and entrepreneurship? By being an entrepreneur, I learned so many different things. I, I obtained soft skills uh, that are extremely useful, being a better leader, understanding the, te the technology, the industry better. I know when my students come to my class, uh, I, I can share with them not only what's in the textbooks, but also my own personal experience on what, why a pattern is important, how to create a team, where chemistry, my field, is, is heading to. And same thing as a group leader, when I talk to companies to get money to support my research, I think I speak their language. But I, altogether, it just made me a more complete scientist with a broader vision of my own field. Now, often I think we have this idea that you have to somehow choose between the two. Once you're out of academia, that's it. You're in the business world now. Why do you think that isn't the case? Why do you think it's uh, possible, maybe even good, to have one foot in each door? Well, uh, the first thing I would say is that I don't want to encourage everybody to do both things at the same time. No, everybody is, is called uh, to become an entrepreneur, not everybody is called to be in academia. Uh, it's not only possible, what we see now is this trend that university professors are more involved in the commercialization of their own research, and by doing so, their research is more relevant. I guess they are also, we are also able to, to raise more funds to support our research group. I felt few occasions, I have to admit, but I, ha I felt that eureka moment a few times in my life. But it's equally fulfilling, if not more, when you see that new material being used at commercial scale. 
because you realize how many years it took you and your team to take that discovery from the lab to the market. Now, academia is a, a difficult uh, career at the best of times, and, and so is uh, running a business. What do you think is the hardest thing about, about doing both of these things simultaneously? But I wouldn't say it's not only hard, but impossible to do both things at the same time by yourself. You don't need to do everything by yourself. You can delegate, you can work with other people that are better than you at different things. So if you want to pursue both careers at the same time, probably that's a recipe for failure. But if you are smart and you realize what you should be doing in your lab and in your business, uh, you can enjoy a wonderful career with a significant impact and actually seeing how your discoveries are being applied, which is a, is a great, great feeling. What does leading a company actually give you in a, in a more academic context? So in 2019, I sold my company to WR Grace. And, and then I was thinking, yo, what do I want to do next? And then it became the possibility to run for president of of IUPAC, the International Union of Pure and Applied Chemistry. And I thought, this is perfect timing for me. I, I got some skills as the founder of a company and group leader in my university. And I thought, why not? Why not? It will be ideal that a scientific union will have a, a president with this kind of background. The skills that I got in industry, especially as a founder, were having a vision and being able to inspire a team to, to achieve that. And also things like sense of urgency, being productive, to build a more agile institution. And, and that's why I, I decided to run for president of IUPAC, because I wanted to uh, bring all those uh, skills and that vision to a very large organization to make it more impactful and making sure that chemistry can contribute to building a more sustainable future. So purely on a personal level, how do you feel about that decision to enter the commercial world? Let me tell you that becoming entrepreneur made me a much better scientist, a much better educator, and it has been an amazing educational opportunity because I'm a chemist, uh, I know my field, but um, working in industry and actually commercializing a new discovery has uh, provided me with new skills, with a broader vision of my own field. And it has been a, an incredible experience. But the, the most difficult thing it has been uh, just don't, don't know in the path. Uh, there were so many things that I didn't know. So, yes, I didn't know uh, what to do. I was... Uh, probably very naive, but uh, I, I did recognize that I have to, to work with others uh, because scientists, we know what to do in the, in the lab. We have very good training in terms of doing research, but very little knowledge on how to start a company. That was Javier Garcia Martinez. As Javier made clear, there's a lot to gain in both directions through links between business and academia. And that's true even when the business itself isn't directly related to academic research. Jay Jackson Beckham is a craft beer connoisseur who left her academic career in communication and cultural studies to set up a consultancy called Crafted for All, as well as a non-profit organization called Craft by EDU. 
So Crafted for All is a consultancy that helps craft beverage organizations who are looking to develop more inclusive, equitable, and just organizational practices. Between being principal for Crafted for All and executive director for Craft by EDU, Jay has a lot of different work to juggle. Uh, I honestly would describe my, my daily life as entirely chaotic uh, and, and uh, like there's usually no less than a half dozen things going on simultaneously. Given how far Jay's work might seem from the world of academia, I started out by asking her whether shifting career meant starting from scratch, or whether she was able to take crucial skills with her. So in some regards, it absolutely was starting over from scratch. And in some regards, it was uh, like a kind of free pass to jump over a lot of things that other folks um, maybe had to go through. So. determining kind of what was what was actually um, maybe the most challenging part. What were some of the things that you were able to translate? I mean, one of the things that I think is really interesting is that, you know, when starting a business, credibility is something that you often have to fight for. And I think coming from a space in, in academia where you have, you know, demonstrated expertise by some letters tacked to the end of your name, there's a good num- a amount of cachet there, um, and that's that's really interesting because I didn't think that would matter as much, and it absolutely does. I think you know I've been in the position of um, acting as a, a department chair, and um, like most of us in who've done kind of full time uh, faculty appointments, have to navigate colleagues, na- navigate administration. Um, and I've found that the complexities of navigating those spaces provided me extraordinarily great head start to doing client work. And to be honest, client work is a lot easier um, in comparison to navigating personalities um, in academia. So I think the kind of politics of navigating academia are helpful in that regard, for sure. And I would say what we do in those academic positions is maybe I think multitasking is too mild a word to describe it, right? We, we simultaneously do a lot and a lot of things of consequence, whether that's, you know, prepping courses and building curriculum and maintaining our research programs, right? Doing all these things at the same time. And I think right now I've certainly reproduced quite a bit of that, right? As far as carrying a lot of projects of consequence at the same time and that that was extraordinarily helpful what then are the biggest challenges the things that you've you have felt like you've had to learn from scratch i left my academic post um, right before i was going to go up for tenure actually and i think in the academic space i still very much looked at myself as early career as junior faculty and kind of jumping out of that, I realized that my contemporaries who are my age were in upper management or were CEOs, right? Getting used to that is really tough because um, it, it does give you a sense that maybe you've lost time and that's, that's maybe more unsettling than you realize. You know, academia is a place where you are structurally acclimated to an environment where proving your worth is one of your central activities, right? And I think because of that, particularly because I'm, you know, I'm female and, and, you know, not only female, but an African-American woman, you know, my experience of academia was one of just constantly fighting for my legitimacy and 
I realized that I walked into a broader space in industry where it was simply not that cutthroat. I recognized that I carried around a lot of imposter syndrome, a lot of self-doubt like that be was like habituated because of my time in academia. So I think one of the biggest challenges was, to be honest, putting that aside and kind of getting out of my own head. Do you have any tips for people who, who are thinking about making the same leap from academia? Yeah, I would say um, if you come from the humanities and social sciences like me, um, practice saying things in like 25% of the words that you normally say things in. We are accustomed to a balance where um, context and detail carry a lot of weight. Um, you know, people really just want what is the actionable nugget? Like, I don't need necessarily the, the context or the backstory. And to be honest, that, you know, I said this to one of my former colleagues. I think the biggest thing is probably like really lean into understanding what your worth is as a, as a thinker, um, as a scholar, as a researcher. I think in the academic space, everybody has our set of skills, right? Everybody ha knows how to run certain amounts of of research, we everybody knows how to do analysis, right? But, but in the in the world outside of academia, some of our our skills are damn near magic for other people, right? This might be a difficult question to answer, but do you feel like if you could rewind, you would do it slightly differently? Or I yeah, I wouldn't do it differently. Um, and with that, which is, I think, for a lot of people hearing, that might be an absolutely insane thing to hear because, you know, it, it was a significant portion of my life. But I also think that it's what shaped me and gave me both the ability and the wherewithal to do the work that I'm doing now, which is work that I feel I was meant to do. And I don't I don't believe I would have arrived there had I not done the detour through academia. Now, your academic background is in social science. How has that specifically served you in your work in the more business world? Certainly now that I live in, you know, living in the world of private, private industry and I'm um, talking to people about ideas like anti-racism and anti-essentialism and, and cultural shift, um, you know, not only do I think that my academic background is helpful, but I think Ultimately, what I'm doing is, is you know, doing a, a tiny bit of work to shift the ways that people think so that they understand that ideas that deal with, with culture and with meaning are valuable, um, not only for just existing, but for, for making positive change. That was Jay Jackson Beckham. And that's the last interview for this podcast series, where we've aimed to cover the essentials of commercialising your research. Of course, there is so much we haven't been able to cover in these six episodes. And so if you want to find out plenty more about the career world of academia and business, then do head over to nature.com forward slash careers. And make sure you stay tuned for the next series from Nature's Working Scientist in September. Reporter Julie Gould will be taking a look at an invaluable addition to an academic career, mentoring. Until then, thanks a lot for listening. I'm Adam Levy.
Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food. Food and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Thinking about your next career move in research and development? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that's investing £20 billion in R&D over the next two years. The nation that's home to four of the world's top research universities. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 